and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father, Rabbi Avi Horowitz, and myself, Ayelet, as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and topics inspired by the weekly Torah portion. This podcast is not religiously exclusive. No matter what religion you practice, please feel free to join us as we glean timeless Torah wisdom to help us better navigate the world we live in today, or simply put, just to give us something to think about, because that's always really awesome. So let's get schmoozing. We're super excited about this episode because we don't really know where it's going to go, but we've got things to say and discuss, and that's what this podcast is all about. It's about being able to have meaningful conversation that's relevant to our days today, understanding more about Torah and how it relates to us in our day-to-day, everyday because clearly it's important, so it's important to talk about things that are important. So, things are important. <laughs> Too much cheesecake. Too much cheesecake. So, let's... So, let's talk about the cheesecake, actually. <laughs> That's where I want to start. Um, I want to talk... I, I, really, I really want to start about our experience this morning, and why I was inspired to use this as the topic for our conversation. Inspired by cheesecake. Well, it wasn't really the cheesecake. It was that after we went to the dentist, we went out to eat. And it was such a pleasant place to be. It was like a really good chill in this like really nice place. And I, I, I got that enchantment again of being in Israel and being with our people. And I was contrasting it to the experience of listening to um, recent Olim, you know, people that have come up from other places, France and Chile and other countries. And comparing it with other experiences and my own experience about living here in Israel and reminding myself how much um, we are ourselves our greatest resource, but also our greatest challenge. That very often you can hear the most amazing stories of human um, fortitude and heroism and just exemplary behavior that's just really inspiring. And sometimes you don't. (laughs) Sometimes people are just complaining, you know, population is tough. You know, people are tough. People are tough and things don't work like they do where I'm from. And I'm not not even talking about systems. I'm just talking about human relationships, really. That's what I want to focus on today. Um, I, I kind of like took, when I was feel, filled with those feelings, I kind of took, took two, two, two steps back and kind of like watched you interact with the guy behind the counter, Noam, who was a really nice guy. He was a big chiller. Who made yes, a, he's a big chiller. <laughs> he, made, he, made a great, he made a great Spotify uh, playlist, evidently, that got your attention. And, you know, you wanted to know where he got it. And then all of a sudden, a person that was clearly, I guess, not all mentally stable walked in. And he, he was clearly being rude, but it was so nice to see that Noam behind the counter, like, knew him by name. And he, he like, calmed him down. He, like, you know, Ari, you know, Zolo, you know, he starts speaking to him. Okay, it's not your turn. Just wait a minute. You know, it'll be okay. You know, and it, it was, there was a lot of dynamic going on there. And then this other woman walked in, and all of a sudden she starts, you know, connecting to the to the Spotify playlist also that she really she had, over, had to She love. overheard me asking him for his playlist and she was like, oh, I, I actually follow him here. Let me show you because she also liked his playlist. I was like, yo! Right, that, that familiarity like that, that goes from like zero to 60 in like two seconds, you can only find here, you know, amongst us. 
you know, you just, it's not going to happen that often. You walk into a Starbucks and somewhere, you know, it's just, you just don't have that level of familiarity with people. People are just really leveling with each other very quickly. And it was just, it's just stepping back. It was like a beautiful thing to see. And that's just, I love that. You know, I love, it's, it's so ripe with potential to really meaningfully help people and be there for other people. And it's just, I guess, when you contrast that with other things, it's just such a shame that we're not more aware of how great it could be. And so without, you know, trying to give any big solutions for any particular <laughs> group of people or any uh, casting aspersions on any system or anything like that, um, to make a reflection here about the importance of uh, importance of human relationships in uh, based on our Torah reading. Um, the Torah reading talks about in Parsha Tetzaveh about the prime role that the Kohanim, that the the, uh, the priests play in the Mishkan, in the Tabernacle, and then the Beit Hamikdash. They were chosen to be the leaders of the divine service. Now, this in and of itself is a, in today's world, it's, it, it, it I think, rightfully asks for, um, it asks a lot of questions. Why should there be a particular family or caste that's in charge of the divine service? I mean, why isn't it just open? Why isn't it like 7-Eleven? You know, you just, <laughs> I mean, in our days, 7-Eleven was like the example of like, wow, you can go and serve yourself your own Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's like, you know, the big gulp. That was like, wow, that was like so innovative. Normally everything was behind the counter, you know, or right. or you bought it and you brought it to the counter. It was already sealed. But like you can like, self-serve, self-serve, go into a restaurant or whatever and get your own stuff and like. So, I mean, not talking about, you know, what's mundane with, 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 with what's mixing with what's holy with what's mundane, but why can't you just go, you know, maybe you take a little test to make sure you know what you're doing. You walk into the temple and you do your own thing or, or whatever religious service you're talking about. I mean, normally we're not used to thinking about that there should be certain people doing certain things. Still today, we have the remnant of that idea that you know, the honor of the first uh, person that goes up to the Torah is a, is a Kohen, is a, from a priestly family. Then there's Levi, and then there's this and there's that. We don't really have too many vestiges of those um, roles left in, in daily life, but it used to be very prominent, and it's still a very big idea in, in the Torah. Like, there's the Kohen, and then there's the king, and then there's this. Now, other, besides king uh, kingship and priests, there are no other roles in the Jewish people of leadership that is is kind of closed. Other leadership positions are pretty much open. King, in order to be a priest, you have to be a Kohen or a Levi. In order to be a king... You have to be the son of kings. You have to be the son of kings, but in order to be a leader of a town, you can be whoever you want to be. Right. Or what, whoever you need to be in order to be that, but right. it doesn't... Or other spiritual leadership. You can be whoever you are. 
Whatever spiritual leadership is there, though. Well, the Talmud Chacham, the Abbezdin, the person who's uh, in oh, courts, the person who's educating law, the person who's teaching, the person who's inspiring, guiding people in Torah. I mean, there's no there's no limits on the who that could be, um, generally speaking. But the question over here is, um, what defines this priestly class, and why do you really need a class? I mean, if it's if it's if it's a particular family, so how can you guarantee that the person that's there is really the person that should be there? Mm-hmm. That's always a problem. It, it did become a problem eventually. I mean, it could be a problem even if it's free and open. You might get, end up getting the wrong person there, too, right? As it happens it's often, nepotism like, and stuff, and people right. get in the wrong places. But there's no guarantee either way that you'll end up with suitable people necessarily you had the the kohanim a couple hundred years down the line that that went off and uh, then and then if it, you had the people who decided that who weren't kohanim that they were going to do the service anyway and they also you know were off There's... right uh, it's just it just doesn't strike it strikes us as being a little like cer- certainly unnecessary but also perhaps like a little bit corrupt that or bordering on on Elitism. inviting corruption because you know why should it be a particular if you're talking about spiritual connection why should you need the these particular people to be involved right so it also tastes like a little bit of elitism yeah it could it, it in bad in our in bad times in other words in times where we were our people where the jewish people lost their moral compass in certain areas um that's what it ended up becoming i think towards the end of the of the Commonwealth of the Second Temple, you had like an elite class of Kohanim, of priests, and they they, could, they know that still the archaeological finds of the, the upper, what was called the upper city and the old, what we call today the old city, was mostly, you know, pre, was very often priestly families who were living there and living well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 but, but by then already the priesthood was corrupt and it was appointed by the government. It was, it was a big mess. I'm talking about even the, just the idea. The elitism is is the idea that some people born into certain in certain uh, standards or classes or families are quote unquote. I guess no elitism would say that they're better than others. Um, but in this case, we're saying that they're they have they have the ability to to do things that other people just can't just by the fact that they were born a kohen or priest. Right. So I want to point something out about that. I mean. Clearly, the Torah is, is not about creating elitism. It's about assigning roles. And assigning roles is not something that the Torah shies away from. It's important to know what your role is. And I think if everybody would have a, a clarity about what the role is, I think we all would feel a lot more a lot more better off. Um, we, because a lot of times we have a lack of clarity about what our roles are in life and basically the limits of what uh, we're meant to do and what we're not meant to do. Um, can be very enlightening. The idea—it's it's a foreign concept today because we always feel that we can do anything. You can be whoever you want and do what right. you want. And... and maybe at some point in time, without any clarity, that is true. But if somebody would come to you and say, "You know, you're great at this, and this is what you're made for. This is, you know, look at all of your the characteristics that you possess and the talents that you possess, and you can channel those things in a in a particular way. You would be, you know, for sure, a much more successful person." So the assigning of roles is not a bad thing. It's really a good thing. The question is, who's going to be the arbiter? 
<laughs> to decide what role you have. Well, that's that's always the question. But the Torah doesn't shy away from it. If the Torah says there's something about the descendants of Aaron, of the priest of Aaron, you know, the, from that family, Moses, Moshe, Rabbeinu's brother, um, he's going to be the priest, and his children are going to be the priests. Now, again, can you guarantee that whatever he possessed to be chosen that for this role, that all of his children are going to possess it? No. But you can create a maxim. You can create an, a, 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 a goal. You can create a... Um, Healthy assumption. Like a spirit of... You can create the spirit of the purpose of the role within the family, let's say, and hopefully it creates a tradition. It's just like certain families have certain traditions that they represent certain things. So that lasts... And, and the tradition um, of being a Kohen should represent certain things which Kohenim should feel that this is what they still represent, right? So priests should feel that they're representing the principles or the values of the progenitor of the Kohenim. And that's what I want to talk about. Like, what are those traits or those values that supposedly the Kohen is supposed to represent that their children are supposed to go in those ways um, in order so that they can be the facilitators of the divine service. Now, again, when we say the facilitators of divine service, that does not, it's not, it shouldn't be, or it shouldn't have been misconstrued as being power. It's not about power. It's about being um, a facilitator for people who want to come close to God to bring them into a place that's called the temple. It's called a Mikdash. And helping them, basically, you're a public servant. You're helping them um, do what needs to be done in order to connect in the best way. That's that would be the without talking about the specifics of divine service in the in according to the in the temple and you know the way it's described in the in the Torah. Um, we're talking about somebody who's there to facilitate. So it shouldn't really create power. It should create. Responsibility. responsibility, a sense of a sense of service to the people, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like the Talmud puts it: the Kohanim priests are meant to be like our emissaries; they like work for the people, and it's almost this type of feeling of working for the people that allows them to, or actually that creates this kind of covenant or this you know this agreement, this tacit agreement that the the Torah insists that they should be recognized for their efforts because their efforts require them to be far removed from day-to-day activities, and therefore they're not going to be able to make a living, you know, a regular living, because they're very much dedicated to the service in the temple. And therefore there was a lot of... um, tribute that the the Torah expected that they receive because of their dedication to the divine service and the facilitating of the divine service. So therefore, there's a lot of things that the Torah says you need to give the Kohen, you know, as a recognition of that. So if you have fields, you know, you need to, something called Truma, which is a, you know, a small portion of your, of your yield. And there's other, from other live, from livestock and from fruits and stuff. So the, the, the Kohanim should be getting like these um, these little uh, you know tributes. Of, there's another word for it, but basically, tithes. well, tithes is like it's another thing. But yeah, I guess in today's world they call them tithes or 
these like alms or whatever they call them to to give them to the Kohen. Okay, so just pause for a second. So just to put everything a little bit more in context, we're saying we're coming to the um, understanding that Kohanim or like or priests are um, basically, in essence, facilitators um, for people to connect to the divine service, and that and what they do isn't something that should engender necessarily power because they're they're giving up a lot on what most other people are doing, like working and jobs and working the land because they're um, in the temple working for us, essentially, um, in order for us to have a um, full divine experience when we go to the temple. And therefore, when we go, we also bring um, gifts and um, portions of, of our labor, you can say, to recognize and and pay them for their service to us right that's why the torah makes it into a mitzvah it's, it's a commandment to give them and it's not only when they're in the temple working and you're going there it's wherever they are mm-hmm. that they're the they're, they're the people that represent priesthood need to be recognized and honored because they are people who are essentially devoting their lives to the to the people right that's the way it should be there's it should be a if it's a real honest recognition and appreciation and the 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 calling themselves, the priests themselves, are not using it as some kind of a power uh, lift. So then, it's 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 an honest relationship. It's an it's an honest recognition, and it's an honest acceptance mm-hmm. as a token of appreciation from the people. That's also, of course, mandated. Um, but it doesn't matter if it's mandated or not. It's the point is it's it's there. It creates this. Um, kind of a close relationship with those people that are helping you connect to to your spiritual self and to the spirituality of the whole people. Mm-hmm. They're very instrumental in creating that that feeling. They're supposed to be a spiritual class. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that gets me to the point that where we started from, that there's something that, that... I said that there aren't many vestiges of what it means to be a priest today, but here in Israel, there is one thing that... Um, is very much practiced day in and day out. That is also another commandment in the Torah that is not practiced all over the world for different reasons that we're not going to get into now. But the the precept is that every day the priestly class, the Kohanim, wherever they are, wherever they're praying, need to bless the people. It's called Birkat Kohanim, right? So it's an amazing experience if a person is not used to it. But, you know, if you live outside of Israel and you're from certain communities, you don't see this very often. And in Israel, um, like I said, for, for reasons that we're not going to specify now, the, the, the mitzvah, the, 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 the precept, the commandment is fulfilled in full and it's done daily. And, you know, you can get used to it, but when you think about it, it here, they are, here, they, here these people are, wherever they are, getting up and saying, you know the um, the particular words that are listed in in the Torah that represent the blessing of the of the children of Aaron, the children of the the, the Kohanim, and you know it's a it's a beautiful blessing. Three you know three words and then five words and then seven words that represent all of um, human aspiration and blessing and but. What I would like to focus on is the last blessing, which is um, a lot of 
emphasis is put on this last blessing because the last blessing is supposed to culminate all of the blessings, and that is the blessing of peace. So the last word they say to the people when they bless them every day is that you should have peace. God should grant on you peace. Peace also is a very comprehensive word. There's inner peace and relations, um, peace of uh, amongst uh, amongst people. Peace means completion, means wholeness. It means perfection. Um, so it's a, a very whole blessing. But it's one of my favorites. <clears throat> yeah, and and the Talmud also claims that there's there's really nothing that can can hold other blessings like peace. So if you imagine like peace is like the receptacle in which other blessings can fall into. Without the blessing of peace, then any other blessing has really no um, uh, lasting character to it. As you can be blessed with money, let's say, or you can be blessed with a lot of other things in life, prosperity and, and success. But if you have... Uh, no peace if you're warring with your neighbors and if you or within your families and within your communities so then uh, we know that what's front and center in your mind is the discord that you're living day in and day out and, and the blessings are of course almost meaningless mm. in, in that context I mean, one one who is blessed with a lot of money would give up all money to have harmony harmony in the home with right. himself with <clears throat> others 100 percent. the worst curse is to that turmoil, either like in yourself or with your family or with others, everyone, no one wants to be fighting. I guess, yeah, in that in that state of just unrest and constant um, strife, constant strife. Yeah, it's a tough one. So, getting back to the point, the this is the blessing of the children of Aaron. So, there's an interesting Mishnah that says. A source of over two thousand years ago that says that um, the Hillel, who was one of the sages of the, of the Mishnah, is a very important figure, and he himself was a uh, very instrumental in the in the transmission of Torah in his generation. And he, um, in Pirkei Avot, in the Ethics of the Fathers, he's quoted as saying a few things. And one of the things he says is that we should be from the students of Aaron Akolin. We should be from the students of the progenitor of the of the priesthood, who was Aaron. Why? why what, what characterized him? Well, he was Ohev Shalom, Rodev Shalom. He loved peace, and he pursued peace. Ohev Etabriot, he loved people. Karvam Torah, he brought them close to the Torah. I'm always fascinated by that line. I'd like to analyze it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. He loves peace. He loved peace, and and he pursued peace. Mm-hmm. So that in of itself deserves just a comment. I mean, what does it mean love peace? I mean, who doesn't love peace? And you ask that question, and I immediately think about certain people that I know, or even just this concept of people loving you know, the gossip, or as we say, like, the hack, you know, stirring up the pot and getting things, because they don't, some people actually don't like that feeling of settling and everything's fine. They want to, like, get into the thing and get riled up, and some people like that. Even, even at the cost of other people, of other people's feelings, or... 
Mm-hmm. Some people also don't value peace. I'm saying we're surrounded by... Okay, so I guess that's care. not such a great question. But what I mean is when, when the Mishnah says that he loved peace, it, it clearly didn't mean that he was just like a guy who was like, you know... Peace and love. Yeah, he was like he didn't he, he was like he didn't like conflict. You know, there's certain people that just they they'd rather not do stuff in their life because they'd rather avoid conflict so they don't get anything done either because it's going to mean, you know, having to confrontation Yeah, to like rumble with people. So they'd rather not have to do that so they stay away from stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not that's not what it is in this case. It's oh briot. Like he pursues peace. In other words, he's a he's a firm believer in peace because he believes that, you know, proactively that that there's not just peace, which means the absence of violence. There's there's peace, which is a, a positive, proactive stance. Mm-hmm. You need to pursue peace. You need to you need to show people that being at, at peace with themselves and with others is actually the best, most um, positive state um, to be in. And he, he pursues it. And, and we have a tradition that he actually would, would you know, make um, bridges and like um, he, he would make not amends for himself, but he would, he would get people back together again who, who were at odds with each other. Husbands and wives, and different parties, and we know in certain stories in the Torah he was like the go-between between you know the story of Korach. He was the person who was trying to uh, you know expiate the people and and do what he could to 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 reestablish uh, some kind of a sense of, uh, of serenity and peace again when there was this argument you know between the detractors of Moshe and, and and Moshe himself and his supporters. So. He's a man of peace, but he's not a man of peace who just, you know, uh, passively, is, you, to really love peace, you can't be a passive peace mm-hmm. person. You have to be a peacemaker. Um, it's interesting. I'm just coming up now with, in my mind, both love and uh, rodave to chase are, are actually both adjectives. There's this really cute song that I love from John Mayer um, called Love is a Verb. Mm-hmm. And from our understandings as in, in the Bible that we have, as well as the more, I guess, would say more enlightened people um, share that love is, is actually something, is a verb, is something that's very proactive. You don't just love someone from a distance, but love is something that's very up close and personal that requires giving and requires receiving and requires doing and requires acting and, and effort. Right? And, effort. And, it's, Sacrifice, it's, right? and it's something that's actually... Um, needs to be proactive and, and to chase someone is also proactive to chase, to go after, to pursue. So imagine, I mean, it's, it's a big, it's, it's very uncomfortable to have to, you know, imagine yourself going into uh, talking to some woman who's at, who's having a, you know, somebody, she would might even turn around and tell you like, just bug out. Bug out. <laughs> like, like who, who are you anyway to, and that's a point that leads back to one of the points that we were making before, which is, there, it helps to have a role in order to help you facilitate for others what it is that you represent. In other words, if, if you're the peacemaker, it's easier to make peace because people know, oh, here comes the peacemaker. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, who are you that all of a sudden you're mm, going to... Meaning you have an address. Yeah. 
people know where to find you right and and people know who you are when you come right that's just a that's just a word in favor of roles in general like life is confusing and difficult enough but when people have roles it's it's there's less surprises about what people are, are doing there's not so much duplicity uh that can be conjured up in our minds uh or or we can be suspicious of when it comes to like what other people's intentions are mm. right but but if you have someone like like Arona Cohen, who's supposed to represent peace, and that's what he he does, um, but that's what he really does because he, you get the feeling that he's really uh, convinced and he's passionate about the idea of peace. Right? He is a peacemaker because he in his life exemplifies what it means to be at peace with himself and at peace with others, and he goes to great lengths when even when he doesn't have to, to make sure that. Um, that there's peace to make sure that people are not at least are not hurting each other. Hopefully that they're even loving each other, but certainly that they're not hurting each other. It's I'm just going back to that aspect. As you keep speaking, I keep making a bit more connections, but it seems to me that um, there's um, to Ava to love peace is almost like a personal proactive thing. Like you do what you can to make peace within yourself with others. And Rodef is to actually make it happen amongst other people as well. So it seems like the, this priestly blessing and the way Aaron is being described as someone who not only um, ensured peace within himself and the people around him, but also did the extra effort to um, bring out peace among the, the people in his outer circle as well. Yeah, that's what Rodef means. Yeah, definitely. So then you have that, and then you have Ohevet um, Abriot, which is very interesting. He loved people. He brings them to spirituality. So that statement is very interesting because it's almost as if if, if you want to bring a person to appreciate spirituality, what is spirituality? Spirituality is... Connection. Yeah, it's but it's connecting to that, by definition, it's connecting to that which is of the spirit, right? Now, what is that? What is of but, the spirit? Yeah, the spirit, the, the spirit is a bit vague. Of the spirit means... That which is beyond you, which you perceive is beyond yourself. Your own personal consciousness is very conscious of its own needs. Right? You yourself and your body is, are very conscious of what you need. If, if you're thinking about like, oh, I need to eat, and you start imagining the things you're going to do to eat something delicious, that's not things of spirituality per se because... Those are needs that you perceive about yourself for yourself. And the, the needs that you can perceive of, of others, about others, for others, uh, or the understanding that you can have of the other, right? That is the beginning of spirituality. Spirituality, right? Of, of being of the spirit, which means when you're in the world of the spirit, you're connecting a much, much beyond your own sphere, right? The spirit connects because the spirit is something that's shared. That's the idea of, of spirituality. So I think that in order to get to be that person that brings people close to the idea of spirituality, he himself had to be a person who was just, he loves people. He loves the diversity of people. He doesn't, he's not afraid of the other and the difference of the other. That's why I think the, the text uses... Um, 
it doesn't even use any like colloquial terms like Yehovah Israel or Ohev. It doesn't use any terms that might limit the idea of human uh, kind. Ohev Tabriot. He loves the, the the widest expression of humanity possible. Briot. Briot means creations, right? He loves the whole diversity of man. He's. You can look at him. He, you can see this is not a person who segments. It's not a person who cuts people off from an, from another. You know, he's not a person that's prejudiced. He's not a person that's suspicious. He's not. He has that look of like that's all inclusive. And when that person can really bring people to spirituality because he himself embodies spirituality. That is spirituality. It's a person who truly is seeing through eyes that are very generous. Um. And that is really the seminal. That's the image that is is trying to be forged for the, this class of people. The, the Kohen who's there to facilitate spirituality for those that come to the temple. He's the facilitator of spirituality. Now, of course, it's very regimented when you get to the temple. It's, it's done this way, it's done that way. But within all of those instructions of how to do it, I'm sure there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean... Maybe we'll get into that one day, but somebody comes to the temple and he has like, he, you know, he really feels bad because he did something wrong. He brings a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Take right. my sheep. Right. Well, however it was done with, you know, sacrifices and stuff like that, we have to talk about some other time. But, but the point is, is that he's coming, you know, to come close. He's coming to a revered place which is ultimately, I think, the key to understanding any holy place. It has to be really revered. Right? That's the key to a Mikdasha temple. The minute the, the minute the place is not revered, it, it ceases to be a temple. It ceases to be a, a Mikdash. It, it's, it's not just like, oh, you know, you get to this place in the world where this, like, there's this like, energy. No, there's no, it's not the way it works. It's a two-way street. It could have the potential to be a special place, but it has to be in the context of reverence, that people really revere the site, and they treat it that way. Well, we'll get to that some other time, I think. But, but... Interesting. Just, just to sum that up, though, because I think that's an important part. It's, what, you're, what you're saying is that it, places in itself may be spiritually holy, but they're, they only take on the, almost like the, the heaviness of the spirituality when humans assign to it the respect that a holy place deserves. Yeah. That, that's, that's a concept of Kedusha. That's a concept of holiness that I think, like I said, we, I think we'll have to talk about some other because it deserves its own, its own conversation. Right. But when you're talking about this example of, of a person who's there to facilitate spirituality, right? That's, that's the way we're putting it in modern terms. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's the person who's receiving all these people that are streaming to the temple to really connect. I mean, they're out there in the fields, they're working, they're, you know, or today's world, you know, they're in the offices and they're, they're not. High tech. And then they come to the <laughs> synagogue or they come to wherever the place of worship and they're coming to the temple and they, they, they really need to be able to be helped to get out of themselves, right? To, uh. to get, to be untrapped by, by their, their, their regular, mind um, the pathways that are just c concerned about their mundane things that really have to do with what they know about themselves and what their needs are, which is when you break it down, it's, it's pretty mundane. Right. To be spiritual is to like, okay, I need someone to help me to break out of this 
so that I can really get into the world of the Spirit. And when I feel in the world of the Spirit, I'll, free, I'll feel free and connected to so many other people, to so many other things, to, to the appreciation of nature even, to the appreciation of God, of course. Mm-hmm. That, but that, sometimes you need a lift, right? You need help to do that. And I think what is really being said over here is that the essence of those people that are representing the, the principles of kahuna, of priesthood, are those people that can do this. They're ohev shalom, number one. They love peace. They love the concept of peace. They, they, it's, they're really passionate for it. They really feel it in their own selves. Like, they do for it. Right? And they, do, love and they do for it. They do for peace. And they do for it. And they are lovers of people. They're lovers of the diversity of people. They're not afraid to connect to anyone and everyone. There's no such thing as like writing that person off just because, you know, I don't like what he represents or. And that's such a huge part of our culture today. Like, as you're saying, I'm, I'm thinking of so much of cancel culture and there's this whole rant that I, that I'm really, I want to share at some point. <laughs> with uh with my people on on insta about this whole trend that i see about cutting people off toxic people and uh you know just you know cutting out the people in your life that don't feel good you know i i think it comes from a good place of you know you know if someone's abusive you don't have to hang out if the person is abusive but it's become this whole thing about if someone just if you don't feel good with someone then just cut them out because you don't need them in your life and i feel like it's it's such a it's like cheating yourself out of something so important and fundamental in life about exactly this point. Just it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but there's, there's another person who is a creation just like yourself. And and there's this need and importance to connect with people just because they're people and you don't have to have them be your best friend or love them to the extent that you love your parents or the people closest to you. But I think that this aspect of, um, it's a briot, you said before about loving of creation, I think is a huge way to understand how one could love other people. And I think it's just by understanding that we are all creations equally. You are a creation just like I am a creation and just like that other person and that other thing and that other aspect. And together we all add things that no one else can add. We all add to the, to the wholesomeness of the world. And that in itself is something to appreciate. Right. Well, that is the point. That is a very spiritual view. That view itself. If a person really represents that view, then he itself, he himself or herself is a walking source of spirituality. And that's why we're attracted to people like that. Because you just, you feel that they're not into the trivialities and the smallness of life and where you can get dragged into because of small things. You know, he said this, I said that, I do this. And you're like, you ever seen somebody with that type of um, quality? You just see he's not afraid or she is not afraid of the confrontation of people because it's not a confrontation. It's just right. you're just seeing beyond the person in front of you. You're seeing you're seeing maybe the person's in pain. You're seeing maybe the person has their own inner conflict. You're seeing that really this person themselves would also would want to connect with me or with others if they would know how or if they would get help. Um, no one naturally wants to be conflictive. Right. You know, all the most horrible people in the world don't naturally, deep down, want to be that way. They just never got help, or they were 
suffered a lot and they didn't know how to carry out uh, their life's wishes without being violent and without being uh, aggressive and abusive, etc., etc. Right. So, so here we see, I think just, I, I must say I got a little teary-eyed this morning, like watching all that happen because it's just so nice when you can just like step back and watch it. Like, I love the fact that you're able to connect to that person right away. And like, you want to see it so much um, amongst people, especially when it, it hurts so much. It hurts me a lot knowing that we're all, you know, especially have so much in common when we're one people, we're living in, in, in our own land after so many years. And we should all be feeling like this incredible sense of, of, of camaraderie and just being so fortunate for being able to live this opportunity uh, in, in the backdrop of history, of, of course. But, it, you know, we, we almost talk about it tongue in cheeks. So we have this like double discourse of, yeah, it's amazing. Blah, 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 but on the other hand, it's so hard, so difficult. And the thing, there's so many difficult things and some people can't hack it. And the source of all that difficulty is really just us. It really is. I mean, if we lived in a poor area of the world or if we weren't, you know, we are a super non-developed country like, I don't know, Bahrain or some place in the world, it, you know, okay, so it would be difficult. Or, or, But if people got along with each other in a way that uh, they know they should, because it's not like people don't know. When I say people, I mean the people of the book, you know, the people who were raised with some kind of religious inclination in the Jewish state, they know what it means to, to behave, you know, the way they should and what other people deserve from them and what they deserve from others. And there, there's a certain callousness that's been bred and not, I guess it's not about assigning fault. It is difficult. It is, there is violence. It is a difficult part of the world. We're not really being loved we're not feeling the love from our neighbors and from a lot of different parts of the world. Um, but that's not an excuse. And on the contrary, we're only shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, if, if somebody who comes from some country, you know, and really leaves a lot behind to be able to live here and live the dream, and they have to, you know, kind of like swallow that, uh, that feeling of like, oh, people are tough, you know. I mean, it's your people, you know, it's like, if it's your family, it's like, do something about it. We need, if we, if we really believe it, it's not enough just to say it. If you're an Ohev Shalom, you have to be a Rodev Shalom. You have to do something about it. People need to be shown the things that they really, you know, deep down know. They're just, they just don't have the, perhaps the the courage or the mind space or conviction, the conviction to, to, um, to live different ways, so um, I think I'm just left with that feeling today of taking the example of our own Hakoin of the portion that we're reading in the Torah, and trying to putting it, trying to put it more into practice. If you're that type of person who you don't like conflict, ask yourself: Is it just about being afraid of other people, or is it because you just like looking at harmonious situations? You like looking at a symphony of, of, of you know, 
because it's just the way things come together in music that makes it so so attractive. Imagine the symphony being like an entire population of people that are really looking out for each other and considerate of each other. I mean, there's no greater music than that. It's uh, something we need to aspire to, but not just aspire at, you know, there's something we can do every day. I really, really think that uh, little gestures and just going a little bit out of the way to welcome someone or to say hello to someone or to call someone or to, in your own vicinity and in your own interactions every day when you walk into a store or when you walk in, it just makes a big difference. I think um, it becomes contagious. The same way being callous can become contagious and just accepted. Uh, I think it's a daily battle that we need to be road face shalom. We need to pursue the peace and we'll, I think we'll really feel the dividends. It's not something that you have to so much sacrifice for and, you know, think, well, someday, I mean, it can be created. I, I've told you that story that in Chile we used to do bike riding. I love that story. <laughs> yeah, it's not much of a story story. It's just something that I saw in my life that we, we would we would go bike riding up this trail, this mountain trail, pretty much every Sunday. And I said to the fellow I went bike riding with, you know, let's, nobody says hello to anybody or good morning or anything. Let's just start. And, you know, every single person that passes by, we're just going to say, you know, buenos dias. We're going to say some greeting or something. If they're passing us by in contrary, you know, coming down the mountain or and we're going up or vice versa, or they're coming by us or we're going by them, just like without exception. And I must say, I don't think I am imagining this, but over the six, seven years that I was doing that route, there is no comparison between the last two years and the first two years. I mean, the amount of people that was that were greeting each other um, just increased tenfold. And I can't say I'm the one who's responsible for that, but I would like to feel that we're a little bit responsible for it. We're, you know, we did something to to help create that phenomenon. So you can see the dividends in your own life. I'm a big believer in that. <laughs> it's been very different here in Israel. Like in Chile, everyone says good Shabbos to each other. I think it's, it's I think it's a chutzlar thing in general. It's Chavez also a close community. Say, People yeah, know each other. To say good Shabbos or hello and. I do that a lot here in Israel, and I get the weirdest looks. People are like, do I know you? People are so surprised sometimes when I'm in the street, and I just smile at them, and I'm like, hi. And they look at me so confused, and they're like, anima kira Like, do I know you? And I'm like, no, I'm just, just saying hi. And they're like, oh. And then they like, they get so, like, almost, like, flustered, but they also appreciate, like, oh, like, thank you. You're so sweet. I'm like, yeah, chill. It's yeah. nice to see you. Or, or not. Or they look at you like you're crazy. Right, and they keep on. walking. They're like, I don't know you. And they're not able to appreciate it. But, okay. but, but I, th- I still think it's one of those things so simple, but it really makes a dent in everyone. Yeah. People ultimately want to be recognized. For sure. Calling people by their name, asking people, you know, what's your name? Thank you so much. I am such a big believer in that. I think it, I think it does a lot. It goes a long way. So basically what we're saying is, Shalom and peace is peace is active, and it's something that it's not just enough to appreciate, but it's also something that you have to love. The meaning of love the verb, which is something that you you you're proactive with, and you get involved, and you do things for, and you go a little bit out of your way, and you get involved, and and you chase it, and you want it, and looking looking at ourselves in our daily lives, and asking ourselves, how can I be, I guess, a bit priestly in my life, 
how can I be the facilitator of peace and spirituality. and spirituality in my life for everybody else? I think that's, we have the, the, the group of people who do it on a macro level, like when it comes to the temple service. But I think that if some, something good, we always want to emulate and aspire to. So if, if being a Kohen, a priest is, is something that we, that we appreciate because they're the facilitators of divinity within the, the godly space on this earth, then we would want to be the priests and facilitators of peace within our own worlds and our own spheres to bring, bring godliness into all of our little spaces. So with that, <laughs> Call it a day. Uh, calling it a dizzle. All right, everybody, thanks for joining. And uh, we hope to hear from you. You know where to reach us. We have got email and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Adios. Adios. <laughs>